Welcome to Crossbridge. My name is Kevin, and I'm the lead pastor at Crossbridge, and what a privilege it is. In fact, it's an honor every single week when I get the opportunity to share uh, God's story with you. In fact, we've been working through the story for many weeks and um, many weeks, but I, I hope it's been good for you. Um, and I'm thankful that when I think about Crossbridge, we're not just at one location. We're at a variety of locations with a variety of people but all of us, I hope that you're taking on this mission of growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ and leading others into that same relationship. Uh, before we go any further, though, um, I want to pray for us, and, uh, and then we'll move right into the message. Father, thank you for today. I thank you for, again for the opportunity to share your word, and I pray that you'd help me. I pray that you would make it clear and give me the words to say today. But beyond that, whether it's people in Morris, people in Peru, or people um, worshiping online, that God, uh, your spirit, would take these words and they would connect them, uh, that he would connect them to our hearts. God, uh, I trust you. I trust that you move and you work in the midst of all of our services at Crossbridge, and I'm trusting you to do it today. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know... Um, so one of the things you may not know about me, um, you might have figured this out. If you're a guest, I'm just going to tell you, like, I love doing what I get to do. Uh, I love being a pastor. I love getting to um, share, to preach, to teach. I, I enjoy it. I, I like the preparation part. I like the learning part. Um, I like that at times I can just know that God has given me something to say for that given week. Um, one of the things, though, that I would say, so this is... This is probably a, uh, it's an easier place for me to be. But there's other things in regards to being a pastor that are, they're very difficult places to be. <coughs> Excuse me. I was thinking about this week um, at times when I have to do a funeral. And I was thinking about when you're with a family. And specifically, when I think about a funeral, I was thinking about the graveside. Like when, when you do the funeral, at the, whether it's at the church or at the funeral home and you have the service, and then you proceed to the graveside and you get there and I, I usually read a few scriptures and I say a few words. And really, usually that graveside is, we're not there very long. But, but when we're there, there's a sense of when I pray and it's over, um, it is final. And, and I just watch families and I feel for them because even in that moment, there's a sense that oftentimes I see that people just don't want to leave. They're, they're not sure what's next, that they're walking away and um, even like, like, what do they do? What do they talk about? How do they go on, um, in life when, when this loss of the loved one is so great? And in a sense, there's that finality at the graveside that is just really, really hard to deal with. If you weren't here last week, we, we talked about Jesus's death. We talked about the finality of it. We, we talked about what people must have been feeling when he breathed his last breath and he said, it is finished, and he died on that cross. We talked about the hope that you know, people were placing on him and the moment he died, what they must have been thinking, that all hope was lost. See, that would have been the gravesite of all gravesites. That would have been when people were walking away very slowly thinking, now what does this mean? You know, 
there was some talk about resurrection. Jesus had talked about it. There were others who talked about it. In fact, there were some, even some who were in that circle, who took resurrection and this conversation that was happening around resurrection prior to Jesus' death, they took it very, very seriously. Who I'm referring to is the religious leaders. In fact, um, it's not so much that they believed that Jesus would rise from the dead, but they wouldn't put it past his faithful followers from stealing his body and claiming that he did. I think there was a sense of they wanted to make sure that this threat of, of this Jesus was truly dead and gone. And so um, they, they went to great concerns. In fact, they expressed to Pilate their concern. Their plan was to seal the tomb with a stone and then post guards you know, to watch. They were leaving no chance for drama around this resurrection idea. They're done with this Jesus, and they want to make sure everyone else is as well. No one was allowed to do anything on Saturday, which was the Sabbath. So the body of Jesus just lay in that tomb. But early on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, made their way to the tomb because they were going to anoint the body of Jesus with spices. When they got there, there was this great discovery. There was this great discovery that the stone had been rolled away. I mean... Here's what I want you to do throughout this story. As I was reading the story, every time I share with you, I try to plug myself in. I try to look at it with fresh eyes, and I want you to do the same. Maybe you don't know the story. Maybe you do. But today, my hope is that you'll just try to look at it from, fresh, from a fresh perspective. Plug yourself in the story. You know, um, the first thought was not that he probably was, um, had risen from the dead. I imagine the first thought on Mary and Mary was the fact that someone— um, what had these, you know, the authorities done with his body? There was an angel on a boulder sitting next to the open tomb. That angel proceeded to tell them what had happened just before they got there. Basically, he said, there was an earthquake and an angel came down and scared the Roman guards, caused them to pass out. The angel rolled away the stone and Jesus walked out. Mary Magdalene didn't know it, but um, here's kind of this eerie part of the story, right? Jesus was standing right behind her. She merely thought he was a gardener. Then he said, Mary, and she recognized his voice. She's ecstatic, and she immediately takes off uh, running to tell the other disciples. Once Peter hears the news, he and John take off running. It's kind of funny, right? Like, good news, and everybody runs. A funny note, even in John's telling of the story in John's gospel, he says this. He, for whatever reason, he found it important to let the listeners know that um, he outran Peter. I have no idea why that's in Scripture, uh, but I just thought it was interesting, and, it's, and every time I see it, I think it's funny. Um, Jesus appears. In fact, this, this is kind of an interesting thing. So we have Jesus who comes out of that tomb, right? And everyone's discovering that he's risen from the dead. And, and the next kind of scene that happens in this story is that Jesus appears to two disciples walking along this road to this um, Emmaus is what it's called. Jesus starts to walk alongside of him, uh, of them, but they don't recognize him. In fact, Jesus asks them, picture him coming alongside them and saying, hey, you know, hey, fellas, what are you, what are you talking about? Uh, they're amazed that he hasn't heard the buzz of Jesus and all these happenings. Interestingly, they refer to Jesus as a prophet who'd done a lot of cool things. And they just got word that he was alive and... Um, and they were really confused. Uh, scripture tells us this, that this is the way it will be. John 20 says, they did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Jesus went ahead and painted a big picture for them. In fact, um, it says that basically it was like a seven-mile hike 
with these guys along the side of the road. And he started telling about Moses, and then he went through all the prophets, and he told them this long story. They still didn't recognize him. At, at one you know, point in this story, they invited him over to their place for dinner, and as Jesus broke bread with them, all of a sudden, their eyes were open. I can't even picture that moment. You know, they're sitting around the table, and Jesus begins to break bread, and they start eating, and all of a sudden, one of them, the, the light bulb goes on, right? And, and they're like, this is him, right? Imagine, imagine that. And, um, and their eyes were open, and they recognized him. Now, here's, here's what we also know according to the story. As soon as they recognize him, Jesus disappears. Luke 24, 32 says, Were not our hearts burning with us while, we, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I mean, looking back, they're like, we should have known, right? Like, we knew something was weird when that guy was walking beside us. They immediately ran back to Jerusalem. They couldn't wait to tell the other disciples what they'd encountered. And as they were sharing this news, Jesus, like in picture, these disciples are gathered in the room and they're saying, man, you're not going to believe it. He walked along the road beside us. We sat down and had dinner with him. Our eyes were open. And as they're sharing this story, Jesus appears in the room. Luke 24, 44 says this, this is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. You know, all the stories in the Old Testament were leading up to this moment. As we've walked through this thing, I told you this last week, the last week and this week are critical points of this story. It's what everything has been leading up to, and, and this is like the centerpiece of, of what we would call our Christian faith. See, the, the disciples were finally getting it. But here's, here's kind of the, the sad part, right? Now it's time for Jesus to go back to the Father. His work on earth is finished. He meets with the disciples to tell them what is next. And here is what he says. So I want you to listen to these words. Matthew chapter 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is saying the story isn't finished. In fact, it's just getting started. And this story that, uh, that I have been telling you and now you have witnessed, you are going to be carriers of this story. And I want you to take this story and I want you to pass it on. I want you to live it out. I want you to share with others. And this story is going to continue to catch fire as you are the carriers of it. Now, I, I had to ask myself, and I think this is a, a place where we step out of the story for a second. Can you imagine in that room, what those, what those disciples were thinking when Jesus basically says, hey, I'm going to go, but here's what I'm asking you to do. In fact, I'm commanding you. I, I want you to go, and I want you to be a part of this, and I want you to lead others into a growing relationship with me. Um, I, if I'm one of those disciples, I mean, let's just be honest, right? There has to be the question of, you know, Jesus, this seems like an odd time for your departure. Like, why in the world would you depart now? Like, we need you. This is, this is a critical time. In fact, we need others to see you. We need people to know that you, you just resurrected. And it would make a whole lot more sense, not if we just left this place and you left and, and we were to go tell people, but you actually went. You know, we could follow you around and you could break fish and bread, multiply it, do all those things that you did before. And people could see that, like, you're real, right? And this resurrection happened. I imagine there's the question of how do we actually go and how do we make followers? I think a very real question I would have had is, 
Jesus, if they didn't like you and they killed you on a cross, what are they going to think about me? What are they going to think about us when we begin to share? Um, and, and then, you know, there's this question, right, to me uh, that I think I would have asked that says, hey, you say you're with us, but you also say you're leaving. Is that some kind of riddle? You know, is like, what does that mean? And um, because I want to know that you're really with me. And if you're with me, that probably means you're not leaving me. And we're going to get to that even in, um, in, in the coming week or two. See, I also believe there would have been some confidence after they've witnessed what they just have. They've witnessed the finality of Jesus' death. And the truth is, they've probably seen a number of people die. We would recognize that, right? We would say, if we're just honest, and it's not a very happy thought, but for all of us, that day is coming, right? You're like, I'm so glad I came to Crossbridge today so I could learn that there's a good day coming, I'm going to die. That's, that's very pleasant, Kevin. Um, but, here, but here's what I want you to hear. See, when Jesus died in the finality of the cross, it would have been, yes, people die. Like, that's how we end, right? But when Jesus was resurrected, there would also have been like this wow moment of, it's one thing to, to see death. It's another thing to see resurrection. I mean, resurrection, who in the world has done that before? This would have been a first, and this would have definitely caught everyone's attention. See, here's, here's the thought, and I want to just expand on a couple thoughts um, from this story. One of the things I wrote down this week was this, that the resurrection brings new light and insight into death. The resurrection brings new light and insight into death. See, trying to understand Jesus' death is one thing, but now looking at it in the light of the resurrection changes everything. No one had ever done it before. Death, think about it this way. Death had never been conquered and Jesus was just victorious over this thing that no one has ever been victorious over. In fact, God is communicating to his followers and for everyone who would come after him that death can be defeated through Jesus. I think what it would cause every one of those disciples to say is, oh my, like this is real. I think the other thing that came to mind for me was this, you know, if, if Jesus can overcome death, what else can he do? I think the other thing that would have come to mind for me is if Jesus talked about resurrection and actually happened, what else did Jesus talk about? And what can I anticipate happening? Because what this guy says is for real. You know, um, in the upper story, here's, here's, I think, in the lower story, death feels so final. In the upper story, death isn't final. In the upper story, death does not have the final word, but God does. And God says that if you, as I've made a way and I've made access to have a relationship with me, and, and as that relationship has been made by my son coming and laying down his life for you, that you could be forgiven, that you could repent from your sins, you could turn from your sins, and you begin to follow me. And what you can have confidence of is that when it comes time for death, you too, you too, like death in this world cannot hold you any longer because you will live eternally with me. That, that's a really, really cool thing about our faith. You know, um, in my experience is as I talk about Jesus, it makes sense, right? In this story, you have death and resurrection. And, and death precedes resurrection. 
In fact, just, just think of that, right? Death, resurrection, death, resurrection. You know, one, two, like A, B, one follows the other. But here's the important point um, that I think Jesus conveys not only to his people here, but still to us today. That the Jesus way of life will always look that way. Death, resurrection. That when Jesus invites us not just to believe in him, but to follow him. In, in fact, um, the idea here is, right, that we would pursue him and that we would come to a place, death and then resurrection. Now, here, here's what I want you to hear. There's hope in that. You're like, man, this is not hopeful at all, Kevin. I'd say, yes, it is. Because here's, here's what I hear in this story. When we have a relationship with a God who's conquered death, that means there is nothing can, that can hold him. If we're in relationship with him and he says, um, you know, this picture of death, resurrection, death, resurrection, here's what it says. There'll be some things in your life that may look and smell and, and feel like death. But with Jesus, there is possibility for a new life. Plug that into your life for a moment. Think about it. There could be a relationship that you're going, Kevin, you have no idea, but this relationship smells a lot like death. Like, I don't see how there's any way there could be life in it. And here's what I would tell you. With Jesus, where there is death, there can be resurrection. Maybe it's a job, and you're like, man, it is like, oh, oh, oh. Kevin, it is so much like death. Like, and all I tell you is, with Jesus, there's possibility that resurrection comes out of death. I want you to hear hope. Maybe, maybe you're not, you don't have a background um, of saying, I really know a lot about Jesus, but, but here's what I'm guessing, is all of us can meet at the place where we'd say, sometimes we just need the reality that things can be different. We need the reality that, um, that what is the life that we're living and the circumstances that we find ourselves in, they're not final. That God would have an opportunity to bring life in them and bring us hope when all feels hopeless. It reminds me, um, you know, I've seen God do this over and over. I've seen it in my own personal life. I've seen it as a pastor. I remember one time years ago when I first got here, and we made a very difficult decision to shut down the south campus in Ottawa. We had two campuses. We had Ottawa, you know, the north campus, and Ottawa, the south campus. In the south campus, we looked at it, and we just said, it just doesn't seem like God is really helping us to expand the mission. And, and if we're not expanding the mission and it doesn't really feel like it's helping us to accomplish it, then we, we probably need not do it. I remember how hard of a decision that was. And I remember sitting in the circle with people that I loved, even after a year's time, and, and having to break that news so hard. And yet, here's what I saw. We, we stopped doing the South Campus. It was painful. But a few months later, God, God, the phone call rang and God gave us the opportunity to start the Peru Campus. There's so many times in life I think that is so true that, that God shuts a door in our life. In the moment he does, we grieve that and we're sad about that. But as we put our trust in him, here's what I've seen him do over and over and over, that sometimes God slams a door, but sometimes directly after, he throws open a window. That there's times when things need to die. In fact, you may, you may even have something in your life right now that you know, you know it needs to die. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a way of thinking. Maybe it's a relationship that is holding you back from your relationship with Jesus. And the truth is, it needs to die. It needs to be put to rest. 
on Jesus' behalf that he might raise up something in you and do something new. Something that just says, oh, that is so Jesus, and that has life in it. And, and that looks like it has his handprints all over it. But sometimes I think he's waiting for us, you know, just to say, God, like, I think you're up to something and I'm willing. I'm willing to give you this and to allow it to die that you might do something new. Matthew 16, 24 through 26, powerful scripture. And I just want to spend the last few minutes talking about it. Here's what it says. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? I love that line. Like, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Imagine the disciples thinking, I do not want to walk the same way Jesus just walked. I really would prefer my life not end up like his did. Um, I, I think about that, and I think about this idea of following Jesus. And, and here's what I would say. Now, this is not, it's probably not popular today. In fact, I think as, as we, as we kind of come to the conclusion of this message, I'm just going to be straight up with you. Like this kind of message about following Jesus is high challenge. Um, it's challenging to me. I think if you take it to heart, it'll be challenging to you. But I think it's this idea that the way of growth will always be through the cross. That when Jesus invites us to follow him, there's recognition that there's going to come things in our life that we will need to offer to him and that we'll need to die for him to do something new. You know, um, I just something came to mind for me. Um, I was thinking about airport security. I don't know the last time you flew. Um, last time I flew, I think I was actually with Pastor John Pickens. And um, it was interesting. In fact, we were in line and we were going through the line and he accidentally brought a pocket knife, right? I was like, John, 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 right? And so, you know, he, he ended up uh, getting patted down and all that stuff. And I actually thought it was kind of funny. And, um, but, but I say this, I don't know about you, but when I go through TSA at an airport, I don't know, there's something, it just kind of works me up. You know, you wait in line. And honestly, when I'm waiting in line, you, you, you get up there and I'm just thinking, number one, I think, what do I, what do I have on me, right? Do I have anything that is going to cause me to be patted down or, you know, taken to a room, which I don't want to go to. And, and, and then, you know, you empty everything out. You empty your pockets. You know, I'm like, do I still have my belt on, my glasses? Everything gets put in those, those you know, trays, right, those buckets. And there's something about going through that line. And then you, you put all your stuff on that conveyor belt, and they go through, and they look at it, and they look through your bags. And then the final thing, which really feels invasive and truthfully a little weird, right, is you stand in this circular thing and you put your hands up to match the hands and you spread your feet to match the feet and it goes, whoop, whoop, right? It takes the picture and, and you're just like, who's looking at that? Because that's just, it's just, ugh, it feels invasive, right? If I'm honest. But here, here's one of the things that came to mind for me is I thought when I go through TSA, I just recognize it, it feels in my heart like, all rights, like I don't have any. It feels like I'm just at the mercy of these people. And if they want to let me through, they will. And if they want to take me in a room, they will. If they want to pat me down, they will. And I don't have any choice about the matter. In fact, I just kind of, you just almost have to 
resign your rights when you go through the line. Now, I, I know that's not true, but that is how it feels. Here's how I want you to think about your relationship with Jesus. If this is really, if this is really the line that we zero in on, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. If we were to really live by that, here's what it says. It says to me that the way of Jesus is a willingness to, to lay down my own rights and privileges, to, to lay down my own ideas of what my life needs to look like, and to be willing to take on, in a sense, put that to rest, to let my own dreams die, my own um, privileges die, and and then say, Jesus, if I resign my life to you, I trust. If I lay it down, if I put it to rest, if I die to myself internally, right? Like all my stuff, I put all my stuff on that conveyor belt. I expose myself and make myself vulnerable and say, hey, have your way with me. That that is just the place that according to scripture, that Jesus can take what is dead and he can bring new life. Now, I'm telling you, that, that's a challenging message. Truth is, for most of us, um, currently, today, uh, 2019, here's, here's where we're at. I think for many of us, when we think about modern Christianity, it looks like making Jesus a very convenient part of your life. It looks like living your life and then finding places to allow Jesus to be a part of it. But when I read this scripture and I think about the first disciples and I think about what Jesus was telling them, I don't think it was this casual kind of, hey, if you can, make a little room for me. I think what he was saying was, if you're really going to follow me, it's probably going to lead you to places of death. And I'm not talking like just... It could have been physically, right? But I'm talking about places where we resign ourselves to say, I really, you know, we've been talking all throughout this series, God, my interest is not in my lower story plan. My interest is in your upper story plan. And so therefore my lower story plan, let's just put it to rest. That God, you may, that you may revive me in a way that I might live to this upper story plan there would be a life that I could never create on my own. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you. I thank you as we prepare to respond today. God, this, I think this message is um, it's hard. And it causes us to really reflect and look at our lives and ask some really hard questions. You know, are, are there things in our life that we say, man, it smells a lot like death, but... I really need hope, and so I, I'm, I'm going to believe this gospel story that the God we're even talking to right now is pretty good at taking dead things and bringing them to life. The other side of this, God, is that are there things in my life that need to die, that I need to hand over to you, that I need to take my hands off, and I need to trust you fully. I need to trust you fully that in doing that, God, you could do a new work in me. God, I pray that for all of our folks, Morris, Peru, online. I pray that we would be obedient to what we hear in Jesus' name.